0: We've been hearing about the vast needs in the world, certain there is the world particularly, um, and the lack of knowledge of Christ and our part in that. But I don't think we should simply be motivated to engage in mission because of the need. Um, often when we hear of these tremendous needs, it can actually, I think, overwhelm us and paralyze us and actually make us apathetic. Um, and it's not really out of guilt or duty that we want to become involved in mission. It's more that we want to seek God's heart and seek his will and see what he would require of us as his people to bring glory to him. Um, and, that's, um, and we find that in his word. And we find that thread of mission running throughout his word. So then as we come closer to the father heart of God and his longing for the lost, we find ourselves more and more wanting out of love and compassion to be engaged in mission. Um, and of course, this comes from the word of God itself. Uh, Wilson and Irene are here. It's lovely to have you. They did my job in another form for many years. They also worked in the Philippines for 16 years, yeah, um, with, with OMF International. And Wilson is going to now, now come and share from the word for us.
1: Um, good evening, everyone. It's a real pleasure to be here, sharing with your missionary. Uh, Sharing in your missionary weekend. I have been here before. I don't think I've ever speak, spoken. Sorry. I don't think I've ever spoken here uh, at a church service. Uh, do you believe the last time I was in this very, the very building was we had a farewell service for uh, the late uh, David Strachan and Dorothy when they were heading back to the Philippines? I think that was about 1988. Uh, so it's the last time I remember this actual building. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, we want to. Uh, just look at a few very well-known verses from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Jesus uh, speaks about the need for workers. And we're going to read from 9.35 through until chapter 10, verse 4. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him, and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the text collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Amen. Uh, The metaphor of uh, the life of uh, a shepherd, sheep, and and shepherding is a very common one in Scripture. We're all very familiar with it, I'm sure. If you read through the Old Testament, Israel are very frequently referred to as sheep and and God as their shepherd. Or sometimes their king is referred to as their shepherd. Shepherd, or, or perhaps sometimes the prophets are referred to as the people's uh, shepherds. Perhaps the most graphic use of the metaphor is in Ezekiel chapter 34. And in, and in that chapter, the leadership of the nation of Israel come under blistering condemnation from the Lord through the prophet Ezekiel. The shepherds are condemned basically for taking care of themselves but neglecting neglecting the sheep, neglecting the flock, a leadership that ignores the people under their care. Uh, they're described as eating the curds from the milk, that comes from the sheep, of course. They're they're accused of uh, clothing themselves from the wool and then slaughtering the sheep for meat. They have been, according to Ezekiel chapter 34, willfully neglectful, of sheep that are ill, and they made no attempt whatsoever to look for any that were lost. And uh, to actually quote from Ezekiel chapter 34, the prophet says, you have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. And what Ezekiel saw in his day is actually the same as that which Jesus saw in his day in Israel. The people of Israel, according to these words of Jesus that we read, were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And uh, those observations, those words of Jesus, would have registered very quickly with those who heard him or with those who read at at a later date Matthew's Gospel. And they would have immediately thought of Ezekiel chapter 34. And they would have uh, realized that what Jesus was meaning was that the leadership in his day was of a piece with the leadership 600 years previous in the days of Ezekiel. And that is not just that the leadership was inept or incompetent or, or careless, but that the leadership was actually contributing to or even the cause of the miserable condition that the people found themselves in, in Jesus' day and in the day of Ezekiel the prophet some 600 years previously. Uh, The Philippines, where we have lived, is a nation where the horrendous condition that uh, millions of people live in is frequently uh, attributed to the behavior of their leaders. They're frequently described in the press as being uh, heartless, rapacious, and there are lots of adjectives that uh, the opinion columns in the daily newspapers in Manila use of their senators and their congressmen and their mayors and, and what have you. The Manubo people that we have served with are people who live in the upland areas, the highland areas of the island of Mindanao. Now, most of Mindanao was at one time covered by rainforest gorgeous rainforest, there's still some of it left. It really is absolutely beautiful. We had the privilege of living very close to it. But the the whole island used to be covered by rainforest, at least the upland area, sorry, the the highland area of Mindanao was covered by rainforest. And that provided food and and shelter for the people who who lived in it and near it. But in the the 1960s and the 1970s, the then-president, the infamous uh, Ferdinand Marcos, sold off huge uh, logging concessions to very wealthy uh, Filipino or other Asian uh, businessmen. And uh, these businessmen stripped uh, thousands of hectares of uh, Philippines of their rainforest. And uh, this all happened within a couple of decades. And they made phenomenal profits. Now, the people who lived there, who were at one time, Hunters and gatherers then had to learn to become farmers, which even today they're still not very good at. And even today, tons, literally tons of topsoil run off those hills in Mindanao and into the rivers and out to sea. That's tons of uh, topsoil every year. None of this creates what is an ongoing ecological uh, disaster. It contributes to the depletion of... uh, The fertility of the soil of Mindanao leaves local people unable to produce food and to make a living for their families. Leadership that has caused misery for untold millions. The millions of poor in the cities, not just of the Philippines but the rest of East Asia, fare no better than those in the upland areas. Funds for development seem to always be used to line the pockets of very unscrupulous politicians or civil servants was often only a fraction of the intended sum making its way through to those who really need it. Healthcare and education and agriculture um, which are all of course sectors that need constant investment and funding and regulation in order to feed and sustain any nation's well-being are often run by people who Like the shepherds in Jesus' day or the shepherds in Ezekiel's day only want to milk and strip the assets and the funds for their own benefit. And so even today harassed and helpless is a very uh, appropriate way to describe the circumstances that so many people live in and under. Jesus, of course, uh, came as a shepherd as the good shepherd, and his his method of introducing his rule and reign, the kingdom of God, is so different from that of any political leader. Firstly, we see that when Jesus looked at the uh, multitudes that were harassed and helpless, he was moved by compassion to begin to do something about it. Compassion. And it's from this, this wellspring of compassion That the mission that we read of in chapter 10 was actually born. Jesus sent out his disciples because of his compassion, compassion for the people that he observed in the villages and towns around Israel. This word compassion, uh, it really is, really is something incredible, something marvelous. Jesus was always compassionate, with the ordinary man, with the ordinary woman. He could be at times very severe with some people. And if you read the New Testament, he was very severe uh, and spoke in a very strong tone with some people, particularly the leadership of Israel. But with those who suffered the most in poverty and from the hardness of the times that they lived in, he was always compassionate with the ordinary man and woman. He was never paternalistic. He was never condescending. He never treated them with contempt. He never showed impatience. He always, it was always, always compassion, never condemning, never blaming, never judging. And Compassion is, is one of those things that always speaks for itself. You never need to explain it. You never need to introduce it. It can never really be faked. You can always spot someone who's pretending to be compassionate. It can never be generated, thankfully, by a committee. Uh, compassion is something that comes out of a life that is, and has been crucified to itself. It's always selfless. It's always outgoing. It's never self-seeking. It's never self-promoting. And what we've discovered over the years that we've served overseas is the best missionaries are always the compassionate ones. They may not be uh, the most articulate speakers, of the language they may not uh, always know their bibles better than everybody else they may not be the most theologically tuned in but they always always get through to people better than any others the ones who are truly compassionate we don't always see unfortunately a lot of mission driven by compassion that's not the case for for all mission of course but whether it's our churches or our denominations as a whole, whether it's parachurch organizations or mission agencies, so many, still, so many of us within those various groupings that I've mentioned there still seem to believe that successful mission needs the right strategy, it needs the right technology, it needs to be relevant, it needs to be modern, it needs to be cool, it needs to be trendy, or whatever other label you care to use. And that's rather, that's rather ironic. It's rather b- bewildering, I suppose, because when you read the New Testament, more than anything else, what strikes us about Jesus is his compassion. It's his compassion. It's, it's, if you like, that, the dominant personality trait. It's the major key in everything that he says and everything that we read. It, it hits us in the face straight away. His compassion. The depth of that compassion. He was tireless in his compassion. So compassion, if you like, is the, is the well that drives everything else. Uh, the dominant motivation, the dominant personality trait of Jesus as he begins to send people out in mission. And then he makes this call to prayer. And perhaps you're thinking to yourself, well, missionaries always talk about prayer. We knew it would show up at some point in the evening. It's always wheeled out, the missionaries talk about about, about their work and about, about their job. But it is, again, very remarkable that when Jesus sees such, such dire poverty, when he sees people in such miserable condition, he, he doesn't immediately uh, instigate a program. He doesn't immediately kick-start some kind of uh, activity. But he asks his disciples to pray. He says, look at these people. Pray. to God. Pray to our Father to send out workers to help them to declare the new kingdom. Pray. Pray comes before everything else. Uh, Because you see, it's God's kingdom that has dawned. Not any other kind of program. And it will come, it will continue to come. His kingdom will continue to grow in the world through the prayers of his people. And that is the great mystery but the great truth. More than anything else when we pray, it reminds us as his children, that it is his kingdom and not ours. Thirdly, and finally, he delegates his authority to his disciples and he sends them out into the towns and villages of Israel so that the work that he has begun, they have the authority to continue. God's work is always done from a basis of compassion and prayer, but by people who work in his power and his authority. And what he has asked the disciples to pray for at the end of chapter 9, he does in chapter 10. He sends people out into the harvest. The kingdom comes through the prayers and the deeds of men and women. And they are sent out to heal cleanse people of leprosy they are sent out to deliver men and women from the power of uh, evil spirits and to teach the kingdom of god the kingdom has dawned and these will be the signs that it is so when men and women experience the power of god it also reveals to us how holistic the salvation that jesus brings really is it's not just about uh being made ready for a life hereafter. It's wonderfully appropriate for the world we live in. Uh, This salvation brings healing today. It brings cleansing today. It brings deliverance today in the here and now. And this is the great news. And it's really only through the very selfless love of men and women who testify to what they have received that the kingdom comes later on in uh, chapter 10. Jesus says to the disciples as he sends them out. Freely you have received. Freely give. And What we're giving is what we have received. We have tasted it. We have received it. And we want others to receive it also. And where the kingdom has not come. Men and women still need to be there. That's why we still need to make that call for workers. Who should they be that go and declare the kingdom has dawned? Well, of course, there have been countless talks, seminars and conferences and books written on who should be doing mission. And constantly what we hear is, well, local Christians should be doing mission. We should be sending our funds and our resources so local Christians can do it. And of course, that is true. But the reality is that there are huge uh, sectors of people within the world today who don't have a local church in their midst. There are huge uh, populations of people who, if they have a local church, that local church is just a tiny fraction, less than half of 1% of the population. And they are uh, overstretched and overworked. And they need help from brothers and sisters in the worldwide church. That is the reality. And if someone has a heart for the kingdom, someone whose uh, life is characterized by compassion and affection for Jesus they will be welcome anywhere in the world today let's pray together father we give you thanks because we serve your son who is compassionate full of compassion we serve your son who has called us to prayer and We serve your son who has delegated to us his power and authority to declare his name in the world. Help us all to be faithful to that and to him in Jesus' name.